Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... I've always found this, that if you have the right intentions and you absolutely believe in what you're doing and you're doing the right thing, the right people just tend to appear at the right times. And I think if you're really passionate about what you do, then it just comes across in conversations and when you meet people. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 397 of Impact Boom. My name's Sarah and I'm passionate about visioning, empowering and contributing to initiatives and enterprises causing positive transformation locally and globally. Today, we are speaking with Mandy Richards. Mandy is a social entrepreneur fiercely passionate about human rights, animal welfare, eradicating poverty and empowering women. She established Global Sisters to democratise entrepreneurship in 2013 with the goal of creating a scalable and efficient model for supporting women to create an income stream via self-employment when mainstream employment wasn't accessible. Mandy's diverse career path over the past 20 plus years, has spanned the commercial and not-for-profit sectors, where she has worked internationally on government business incubation programs in Botswana and New Zealand, as well as high-profile charities, including Hamlin Fistula Hospitals in Ethiopia, and locally as National Marketing Manager for the RSPCA. Mandy established the ACT Social Enterprise Hub while working at Social Ventures Australia and was Director for Place-Based Philanthropy with Sydney Community Foundation, following securing the highest investment on Channel 7's Dragon's Den. Mandy launched a $3.5 million startup and has commercialised an invention internationally. Mandy, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Mandy, I'd love if you could please share a bit about your background and what led you to work in this wonderful space. My background is pretty diverse. I'm not sure I actually have a career as such, but I guess the overarching thing for me is I've always had to be doing something that I felt like had a purpose and was worthwhile. I've always been entrepreneurial and I guess broadly I've covered business incubation, social entrepreneurship and social enterprise worked for a couple of interesting and big charities. It's all combined and a few startup things in there as well. (laughs) How I landed on starting up Global Sisters. I started working on it in, gosh, 2012, about a week before I had my little boy who is now 10. And I'd been working in the social enterprise space and I could see there was so much potential there and so much need around employment, creating jobs for people that just couldn't access mainstream employment. 
but I thought it could be done in a better way, in a way that was using technology, in a way that was more sustainable and more scalable. And I really wanted to focus on working with women particularly. A few things led to that. One was my personal experience. I grew up on a farm in Armadale, country girl, and then my family moved to Indonesia. So I really saw abject poverty at a very early age. And then later when we moved back to Australia and back to Armadale, my parents divorced. And I went through that experience then of watching my mother become welfare dependent and struggling to look after three kids and struggling to get a decent job in a little country town, even though she had a double degree and everything that went with that. And then I did all this social enterprise work as well. And I traveled a lot and I kept running into women in like the mountains in Sapa, for example, in Vietnam, all these hill tribes, women who had the most incredible skills and were making the most amazing things. And I just started thinking, gosh, how can I help women like this? reach markets and reach women like me who want to support them but also how can I help them make products that people actually want to buy as opposed to sequined elephants for example that are incredible in terms of craftsmanship how many sequined elephants could a person buy so that was really the start of Global Sisters initially the idea was a marketplace that was purpose-led or cause driven to support women and it's just evolved from there. I kicked it off initially working with some women with refugee backgrounds in Canberra while I had a little baby and it was just grew. <laughs> Amazing. So as the founder and CEO of Global Sisters, can you share a little bit more about this enterprise, its purpose and the impact that it's generating? The overall purpose is essentially to give women a means of creating an income for themselves through self-employment when they just can't access mainstream employment or at least adequate, decent mainstream employment. So there's a lot of women out there who may be classified by the government as employed, but actually they're underemployed or it's not decent work or they're being paid so little that they still can't make ends meet. And then there's a lot of women out there who have no financial independence. There's plenty of women out there, for example, who may have a partner who's actually in a good job, but the women have no control over the money. So for us, it's all around financial independence for women. We're focused at the moment on women in Australia and just making sure that self-employment is a genuine option for any woman in Australia if that's what she wants to do. And I think the critical piece, what's so important about self-employment is the flexibility that it offers. There are thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands of women, probably millions actually in Australia, who are facing some sort of barriers to mainstream employment. And that can range from carer responsibilities, which most women have, whether it's children or elderly parents or some other relative, um, right through to they might be in a situation like my mother living in a regional area where there just aren't jobs or they might have mental health issues. They may be living with or have come out of domestic violence situations. They may have passed, it was 50, now they're saying 45 as that milestone when if as a woman you lose your job and it's really hard to get back into the workforce. They might have some sort of disability. I mean, there's a thousand reasons and different circumstances that might hinder a woman's ability to get adequate work. That's what this is all about. We're at the point now where we've supported five and a half thousand women across Australia on their journey to financial independence. We've seen more than a thousand new micro businesses get off the ground. We work very closely with the corporate sector, which provides all sorts of pro bono support and sales opportunities to our sisters. And we've enabled about $6 million worth of 
pro bono support and sales opportunities from big corporates like Unilever, eBay, Visa, Afterpay, Google to these women. That's a really important part of what we do. We've been going long enough where we're really starting to see significant impacts. So we're seeing older women not only buy, but actually pay off their own homes. And these are women who were facing homelessness as their future. We're seeing young migrant women who were the most at risk during COVID moving from, we have one woman, for example, who moved from homelessness to turning over $300,000 a year. And she's employing three other young migrant women. She's got a mortgage, she's got a commercial lease. And we're also seeing the first women moving off welfare as well. In terms of impact, that's where we are at the moment. And now we really want to see those significant impacts scaling. At a macro level, there's four key areas that we really want to see some change in Australia. And we feel like we're in a good position to help that. And those areas are child poverty, domestic and family violence for women and children. It was older women's homelessness, but I would say older women and single mums with their kids' homelessness, which is just increasing horribly at the moment. And also women's health, mental and physical. And we know that these are all things that are impacted by poverty and they're all things that financial independence is a key lever in really shifting the dial on. Wow, they're remarkable achievements so far. So congratulations to you, your team, and those women who have, as you say, shifted the dial on the trajectories of their lives and the ripples that has in the community is so powerful. I guess the other side of the work where we're really starting to ramp up now is the systems change work. We work, I guess you would say, on the ground, although most of it's online now. You know, we have this one-stop shop of business support, which ranges from business education to coaching to microfinance to sales and marketing support. We have a marketplace so women can get on there and start selling straight away. But on the other side of things, we're really starting to look at how can we make bigger changes in the systems and the structures out there that are really preventing self-employment. One, preventing self-employment being a genuine option, but also preventing and not supporting women on low incomes in Australia to really leverage any income they might be making to the point where they can actually purchase assets, own assets, and really start breaking that poverty cycle. We're moving from just focusing on enabling economic participation and building out, joining all the dots so that they not only become financially independent, but also economically secure for the rest of their lives. And that obviously then passes on to their children as well. Yeah. Amazing. Mandy, we'd like to really acknowledge and congratulate you and your team on recently being successful in receiving the $1 million grant support from the AMP Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit more about what this means for Global Sisters and the future plans which are now possible due to this recent funding? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, AMP Foundation have been an amazing partner. They've been one of our longest term partners and so really helped us get to that point where we had a scalable model and had supported so many women around getting businesses off the ground. This grant, though, is supporting the systems change work that I just mentioned. This year, we're launching three three-year projects that are really aimed at proving our model at scale, but also providing an evidence base that we can give to the federal government to make changes to the welfare system so that it really supports women into self-employment if that's an option that they choose. Because at the moment, we have a very outdated welfare system that was designed for men. 
and it's never been designed and doesn't cater for the women that we're supporting if they want to go down the route of self-employment, which is crazy because we know with single mothers particularly, we know that once they get onto welfare, they tend to stay on it for a long time. And the reason generally is because one, the rates are so low that our welfare system really is entrenching poverty rather than providing a safety net, which it should, but it's not designed to give these women what they need and they just get stuck in it. It doesn't acknowledge, doesn't recognise all the barriers that they're facing and their circumstances and what's going on for them. So it keeps trying to shove them into these crappy jobs that are never going to work and are certainly never going to help them become financially independent. Whereas if we look carefully and say, oh, okay, you've got these circumstances going on, you need flexible work that's really going to support you and that you can do around whatever these circumstances are from home, oh, self-employment would be a great option for you. And it might not be the pathway forever. It's a start. We see a lot of women start working with us for a few years, build up their networks, build up their confidence, and then they go and get a great job. But it, like they needed that help in the first place. The projects that we're doing this year or launching this year, one is working with women with disabilities. One is working with single mothers who are on the higher parenting payment single rate, which means their oldest child is eight. And then the third project is working with women who have come out of domestic violence situations and who are on the lower job seeker rate which is really quite unlivable. So the AMP money is contributing to running the Single Mothers Project, which is awesome, and that's going to be launching in July. So we'll be supporting 300 single mothers and their children for three years on this journey to setting up a business. And the end goal for us is that we see at least half, hopefully all of them, earning as much, if not more, than their welfare payments and really on that pathway to getting off welfare and becoming financially independent. Fantastic. So as a social entrepreneur with the vast experience that you have, what are some actionable steps and key learnings that you can share with change makers looking to grow their impact? Um, I don't know if I have vast experience, <laughs> but, and I, I feel like most of the time I'm winging it and just figure things out as they come along. I guess I'm always conscious of when I start something. And I certainly remember doing this with Global Sisters at the start. You really have to establish your credibility and you have to establish a presence right from day one. You've got to create some sort of an online profile or presence. So one of the very first things I did was set up a Facebook page 10 years ago and just started sharing the stories of the women that we support and really just started building up a community and a following on the side while everything else was going on, which is unusual for me because I'm all about action rather than words. So I don't actually tend to do much promotion at all. In fact, I really hide from it generally, but for the organization, that's a really important first step. Someone said to me years and years ago, always focus on the end goal. What is it you want to achieve? And don't worry about how you're going to get there. You've just got to have a very clear vision on where it is you're going. I'm a major introvert and you would never get me at a networking event. You couldn't pay me to go to a networking event. That's (laughs) my idea of hell. But I've always found this, that if you have the right intentions and you absolutely believe in what you're doing and you're doing the right thing, the right people just tend to appear at the right times. If you're really passionate about what you do, then it just comes across in conversations. And when you meet people, that's really important. I can't imagine 
anyone going down the route of setting up some social organization or purpose-led organization if they weren't passionate about that. But I think that piece is really key. I think one lesson that I learned And I was aware of it beforehand, but we made a little bit of a mistake in being driven by where we were given some funding, even though I was quite keen right from the start to make sure this didn't happen. But starting small and proving your model before you expand. If I look back, probably the most obvious thing that I would say was a bit of a mistake for us was we ended up getting off the ground or setting up in five different locations quite early on. If I redid things, I'd probably just do it in two. And part of that was we wanted to prove the model in a regional area and an urban area. And it was also important to be seen in Victoria and in New South Wales. And, you know, there's a, it's probably really obvious, but it was one mistake that we definitely made. You can do something at a very small scale to prove a model and then build up from that. And once you've got your proof points, once you've got a story to tell, then that's when the support really starts coming identify some wins and as soon as you've got those then you've got something to really start selling as such in terms of promoting what you're doing so that other people who are interested can really get on board we set up our social impact framework right from the start as well I think some sort of an impact framework for our sector is non-negotiable partially for funders so that they can have some faith in what it is that they're actually investing in but also for you so that you know you're progressing and you're achieving what you want to achieve. That has been a roller coaster journey for us and <laughs> a real pain at sometimes. My goodness, we've definitely, yeah, that's definitely been a learning curve as well. And it doesn't have to be complicated. We always try to keep it simple. And even with that intention, sometimes that's gotten a bit bumpy. Having some sort of impact measurement tool from day one is really important in this space. I think the one area that I've found hard has been HR and people. And again, it's been a learning curve and where we've landed now. And it seems to be working. We've got an amazing team on board now with mostly women, one man, (laughs) who are super committed, hardworking, and just a great bunch of human beings. Our culture is number one. I've always said from the start, and I would say this to all potential board members or team members, anyone getting involved, that there's three criteria for joining Global Sisters. And you have to be genuinely passionate about the cause and what we're trying to achieve. And we look for indications of that. Saying you are is nice, but we want to actually see evidence of it. Clearly, you have to be bringing some sort of skill set that is going to be valuable. And three, you have to be a nice person. I think that's something that's worked pretty well. Probably the other mistake we made at one stage was we doubled the team size at one stage and it was too much in one go. And we had some HR issues after that. We probably brought in some people that weren't the right fit for the organization. And it was such a small organization that it had a really big impact on us. We're very cautious now about who we hire and how. And cultural fit and personality is like the number one thing we look at. And then we really bit roles around them because when you're such a small team and also when you're working on something that's purpose-led people are very passionate about that but it can also lead to sometimes attracting the wrong people as well I really tried with Global Sisters from the start to approach it as a business not as a charity and avoid a lot of typical charity pitfalls in who we hire but also just how we present ourselves and how we operate that seems to have worked really well I really work on my gut 
I really believe in, I guess, doing what is right, what feels right, rather than what is the proper thing to do, perhaps in other people's eyes. I think you have to have your own pretty strong moral compass, but also have a really clear end goal always. People will always try and change your mind. And even internally, one thing that was really interesting for me to see when we're going through a big change was people really can be very resistant to change. And if you spend a bunch of time with a team on one thing and then you need to change suddenly, which we did at one point in time, there can be a lot of resistance to that. You've just got to be so clear in your own mind on where it is that you need to go, yeah, to get there. (laughs) Yeah, fabulous, for sure. So as a female business and human rights leader working to support women globally, what are some of the challenges and opportunities, and I know you've touched on some of these, that you see at this time, both socially and economically? That's a big question. Like three key areas, I suppose, for me would be capitalism and what that means for society, gender inequality, and also the environment. And they're all very closely interlinked. I think if you don't look at all of them, then it's pretty hard to change anything. I'm all for capitalism, but I think there are parts of it that are really broken and we've ended up in a place that is not great, whether you look at the environment or you look at poverty or you look at the mental illness levels in society It's clearly not working in the way that it needs to. I think all governments need to be really looking very closely at some well-being or happiness index as part of their bottom line. It's not much point in having a society where you've got 10% really rich and everyone else stressed out of their minds and eventually it's all going to implode really. I think social business is the future of business. I think business for me has the power to really change the world and ultimately It's business that has caused a lot of problems, certainly climate change issues. If all businesses became social businesses and they were looking at their ESGs and then acting on them and not just tick boxing and giving it lip service, but genuinely from the board to the CEO to the person cleaning the floors, they have to have values that they're working towards and that that they believe in. And those values have to include the environment and they have to include people's well-being. Otherwise, what's the point? But also, we're never going to clean up the current mess if we don't make some dramatic shifts there. Gender inequality or gender equality, of course, that's just a no-brainer. If half the population is not being treated equally to the other half of the population, then we're never going to have a society where everyone is thriving. And It's not a case of if you lift up women, you push down men. If you lift up women, men are just going to get lifted up further. If one person rises, we all rise. I don't really understand why there's an issue there. It's ridiculous and it needs to change. Environment, same sort of thing. Between climate change and biodiversity disappearing, that's connected to everything. Our soil health is created to our health, which is linked to our economy. And if we just started considering all of these aspects in everything we do but particularly in business and obviously the government needs to as well then I think we'd start moving forward in a positive sustainable way where people were healthier and happier absolutely and the micro macro interconnectedness of things and those authentic tangible actionable things people can start taking on regardless of their position or 
whether or not they own an organization, like what can you start doing now in your life to create those culture changes and ripples? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's just about values. And if every person works to similar values, whether they're the board chairman of one of the global companies or they're a street sweeper out in the street, like everyone creates ripples with what they do. Absolutely. All connected. Absolutely. Mandy, I'm curious, what are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that are creating positive change? I love organisations that are super practical, really tangible, and just getting on with it. And you can just see really great impact. Two of my favourites in Australia are Too Good Co and Metal Gifts. So Too Good is based in Sydney and Metal are based over in Perth. And they both work with women who are in highly at-risk situations. Rob Caslick, who founded Too Good, is this amazing social entrepreneur. He's an engineer, which is interesting because <laughs> they're not normally super, super creative, but he's incredible. They work with women who are at risk of homelessness or probably have been homeless. And they do a range of different things, but they started off with this ethos of you of you buy one product and we'll gift one to a woman's shelter. And they started off with doing that with soups and bringing in high profile chefs to come up with the recipes and then expanded it out to skincare products and all sorts of things. He's always doing something new, super entrepreneurial, really practical and just bringing so much value to these women's lives. And the end result is that they end up being employed with Too Good and then they're really on a pathway forward with their lives. Metal is similar. So their focus is on women specifically that have come out of domestic violence situations. So they work with women who have been homeless because of DV or women who are living in shelters and they just provide complete wraparound support and provide this safe environment where there's childcare, for example, and the women can study and they get employed in metal and they make beautiful products And then they package them up into gift boxes. They do a lot of, I think, particularly corporate gifting, but it's this complete service that gives these women the chance to build up their confidence and their skills and a network where they just couldn't otherwise, because generally they're hiding from some abuser and in a really at-risk situation. Every day, they're just creating incredible, tangible impact for the women that they're supporting. They're both great enterprises because they're ones that are really easy for you and for people in general public to support as well. You just have to buy their products and you know that you're supporting a woman instantly on a path to a better life. Another one that's really interesting, very different scale, the Nature Conservancy, which is a global environmental organization. I think they might be the biggest one. They're pretty incredible. We did a project with them years ago around a program they're running called Nature's Leading Women. And I really loved it because what they did was they brought to Brisbane, I think it was five or six groups of women from different Indigenous communities. The two of them were remote Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory, and then the rest were from around the Pacific. So there was a group of women from Papua New Guinea, some from Solomon Islands and some others, I think Micronesia. These women all ran environmental conservation programs in their communities. For example, the women in Papua New Guinea were working on preserving the mangroves, which are essential for so many reasons. But what was happening in these communities was the men didn't support the environmental projects. 
And so this program brought all the women together to look at their projects and work with them on how they could turn it into an income generating enterprise. And so that was where we came in. We were providing the business support. So we had women from the Solomon Islands, for example, who didn't even own shoes and who are communicated with by a man in a little boat. I've now been there. They live in the most remote place you can ever imagine. But we had these women on computers creating their own branding using Canva. It was incredible. And just in a few days, I loved that project because it was so practical, but also I guess it was combining business with environmental conservation projects. But what it was achieving was so practical because these women could then generate an income for their communities. And because they're generating an income, then the men would support it as well. And it had the environmental benefits. Awesome. Really cool. To finish off, what are some books or resources that you'd recommend for our listeners? Everyone should read Look What You Made Me Do by Jess Hill. That was a book that came out a couple of years ago now. It really has helped shift the landscape in terms of understanding what is going on, what's causing this insane domestic violence situation that we have in Australia that is killing one woman every week. It's not a pleasant book to read. It's not an easy read, but it's something that every Australian should read. I haven't seen it, but there was also, uh, I don't know if it was a series or just a documentary, but I think on maybe SBS. So you could find it to watch as well. That's just something everyone should get through. I haven't read this book yet. It comes highly recommended. I've got it sitting next to my bed. Title Fight by Paul Cleary. And that's all about Aboriginal land rights in Western Australia. So again, I think as an Australian, it sounds like it's something that probably everyone should read just to get educated so they really understand what the situation is there as opposed to reading Facebook comments, which (laughs) probably aren't great or very accurate. There's a new movie about to come out, which I'm really excited to see by Dan Pallotta called Uncharitable, which is about liberating the charity sector and helping them, I think, break all the traditional maybe beliefs, but also ties that stop them achieving what they need to achieve. It looks really interesting. So that's about to be released. I think I just saw the trailer for that. My favorite podcast is the Rich Roll podcast. I don't know if you've come across that. He is an American guy, super interesting, but he just interviews the most fascinating people, all with some sort of a purpose, and you can just learn so much. The other day there was a psychologist on there talking about how to help your teenagers' mental health. There's a lot on there around the environment and sustainability, a lot on living longer and living better and just very interesting people on there. One of the projects I'm working on at the moment, which is a bit fun, but I'm really excited to see it. It's something that I've wanted to do for years and years is we're bringing out a book at Global Sisters and it is going to share the stories of 20 to 25 of our sisters. One thing that's incredible, I'm so lucky to have this opportunity, but to meet so many interesting women and hear their stories and they're all so diverse and so inspirational. Like you couldn't make up some of the journeys these women have been on. So I'm really excited to share those in a book later this year. That's going to be a coffee table type book. At this stage, it's not going to be for sale, but we'll have it online so that everyone can see it. We're also going to print hard copies. And 
give them to people who are in positions of power because the purpose of it is to let people experience a life and a journey that they never would otherwise. And I think that should have a lot of benefits. I hope when people have more understanding of what life is really like for so many women out there with very different experiences and very different stories. Amazing. Valuable spectrum of resources there that you've shared. Thank you. Mandy, thank you very much for your generous insights and time today. We really appreciate having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great questions. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.